When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody? What is up? And welcome to an already feisty edition of the Keeping It 1000 podcast live here. I've got the always feisty George Carl with me. George, that's me throwing it to you. Oh, and I got introduced <laughs> one of the uh, shortest guys in the NBA. Thought he was going to say something nice. Kind of one of the weirdest guys. He thinks he looks good all the time, but I think he looks weird all the time. Uh, but he's one hell of a strength, conditioning, human performance. Probably the best one I've ever been around. And I really, really admire him for how he's made his career into a millionaire profit somehow. How he took my a job offer in Sacramento and turned it into a big time raise. <laughs> We're going to hold nothing back here. I love it. Let's go. Yo, I'm Steve so... Steve Man, that is the first compliment George has paid me ever in my life. So I'm going to be a regular on the show. George Cole, one of my favorite coaches of all time. And again, I got a compliment. I'm excited. The Sacramento deal, I didn't get a raise. Um, they, they told me if I went there, they were going to shoot me. So I had to stay in Denver. But I got so much respect for George, um, one of the all-time most amazing coaches. Um, and I've learned so much being away from it. Um, ascertaining what he taught me um, is amazing. And the brilliant thing is every time I see him, I get re-humbled. So I love to see him. <laughs> I feel the exact same way. Every two weeks, I get re-humbled oh, here. Handle oh, handle sarcasm, guys. Come on. You know I love you all. I don't want to spoil anything about uh, next week's show, but George Carl, lots of takes on the current Denver Nuggets. But we're not going to get into that today. We're going to get into – we're going to do some history here. Steve Hess is – the Nuggets have been around, I think, for 57 years. For 21 of those years, Steve, you were a part of the team in some, in some capacity, mostly you know, strength and conditioning coach or other titles, but similar, you know, similar role. And so this is a great opportunity. This series, we like to tell the history of the Denver Nuggets. I don't feel enough has been done to tell the history of the team and bring every generation into the fold of previous ones. So I'm excited to kind of walk down memory lane and 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 hear your perspective on it and and you know hear the different iterations of the team and everything. First, I got to tell everybody we're presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DNVR. You guys see it right here above my head. Use that promo code whenever you sign up. You can bet with us in our pregame shows on the Denver Nuggets. Um, 
this is not going to be a Steve Hess biography per se, where we go back and talk about all this, but it really is going to be your perspective when you were with the Nuggets. So I know there's been some great work done, including by my guy Jake Fisher, who was at the time at Sports Illustrated, about your life and how you arrived in the NBA. But I kind of want to pick it up, pick it up here. I read that you saw an opening for the job. You're already here in Denver doing training and, and, and working out with different people, but how did you wind up with the Denver Nuggets? So I was the head trainer at Greenwood Athletic Club, and Alan Bristow, the general manager, wanted to hire a part-time strength coach under Skip Allen, or next to Skip Allen, who was the full-time strength coach for the Avs and acting part-time strength coach for the Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets had never had a strength coach in that position. So Alan Bristow was like, but we want to upgrade our facilities. Right. We want this part-time strength coach to work under you at Greenwood Athletic Job at Greenwood Athletic Club. I'm like, hell no. I told my wife, I'm getting this job. She's like, Steve, <laughs> you know nothing about basketball. I'll be like, I'll learn. So I called Alan Bristow, um, Jim Gillen, who was a trainer at the time, that's my guy, um, and Bill Hanslick every single day. So eventually they I think they just freaking gave in. Right. And they said, We're just gonna hire this guy. Um, so I worked two jobs. They said um, the strength and conditioning position for the Nuggets was part-time. It was more like full-time. And I was a head strength coach for Greenwood Athletic Club. Right. Um, and again, we would be running um, pre-draft drills out of Greenwood. Um, Brevin Knight, I remember him there. Tracy McGrady is unbelievable opportunity. But I knew nothing. Um, you know, the first time we ran a drill, Bill Hansik says we're going to run it from base um, to free throw line extended. I'm like, fuck. Where's the free throw line? So I got basketball that's one hilarious. on one, and that was wow. my start. So I love that, that's where we started. What I love about this story, you're not going to remember this one. I'm already going off, off script here because back in, I think it was 2003, I was trying to get an internship in the summer from college. to get a summer internship with the Nuggets, and you'd given this speech to pr- prospective interns, and I raised my hand, and I said, hey, so do you take interns? And you thought for a second, you go, no. But if you email me a good reason that I should, maybe I'll consider it. I never did. And I regret it to this day because the story is similar to what you're saying. And it's something I think at 18, 19, most people don't know this. The older you get, it's like create the opportunity. And if you don't feel like you're ready for it, figure it out. Study. Figure out what the foul line is and go from there. You're my first assistant, Rich. So I didn't have an assistant. And then my guy calls me up and says, you got to meet this dude. Hire him as an intern. He was my first intern. Ended up being my first assistant. Man. Ended up being with the Clippers for 11 years. Now he's a head strength coach for the Knicks. Dude's amazing. There's an alternate universe where I'm, I'm his assistant still a lot more ripped, probably a lot, a lot bigger biceps. <laughs> you probably would have learned a few no, things. No, you do not want to be my assistant. <laughs> Everyone I've had are like, my guy, we fucking hate you. So you don't want that. George, so if we go back to 1997, what was the state of working out like with players what was strength and conditioning like at that time and when did it really start to become a bigger emphasis in the nba uh my recollection is um i think it was my second year in seattle uh we played utah jazz in the playoffs and they beat they beat us up uh carl malone mark eaton thorough bailey uh, and they had another kid, a, the car, a car kid, I think, from Wichita State. And they just beat us up. And, um, you know, I, I went home and I, we talked about it. And, and we, at that time, I don't know how many strength and conditioning coaches were in the league. The what? I mean, this was like slow. 1993. Started slow. Started uh, 93 slow. or 94. And I met with my trainer, Frank Furtado was the trainer at the time. He, he loved the idea of getting a weight guy, a strength and conditioning guy. 
a human performance guy, and uh, we hired uh, we hired Bobby Medina yeah. uh, out of out of UNLV because Gerg Tim Gergerich, my assistant, was a UNLV guy, so we hired his guy. When, and Bobby Medina is still, I think, where is he now? Santa Clara. Yeah. Um, he's still in the business, uh, but and we then we had mandatory weight training, and that wasn't accepted very well. I mean, a lot of guys just took the fine and right. didn't do it. Really, uh, they would rather yeah. fine than do the man. That's crazy to think. Uh, but you know, <laughs> and it, it's since that's probably, that's probably the early nineties, ninety three, ninety four. And where it's gone in 25 years is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's a leader of human performance now. Right, right. In many, many ways. The analytics of it are driving a lot of people crazy, but it's great information to have. And, uh, and when I got here, you know, you know, Steve and I, you know, we, we jerk each other off all day long, but <laughs> Steve Hess, when I first got here, the thing that was amazing about it was one, Bistelic had, had laid a sound foundation yeah. to pick up on. And two, Jim Gillen and Steve Hess were top of the class, in my mind, of trainer and, and strength guy. And I didn't have to worry about any of that. All I had to worry about was basketball, and it was really good. So when you arrived, Steve, did you feel like you had a blueprint for what they expected of you? Or was it, hey, create? We, we know we don't want our athletes to be at peak performance. Create what that looks like. So they absolutely did not have a blueprint. Um, and I feel a lot of um, sports, especially at that time, was all based on football. So, so the one thing which I feel was uh, an amazing opportunity for me, um, I could relook at what the athletes needed and come in from a fresh perspective. Jim Gillen was amazing because he didn't micromanage. Even Bill Hanslick, my first year, we went to 11 and 71. Right. You know, coaches would be like on you. They didn't do that. Even guys like Coach Winners, Coach Dunn. And, and at that time, you got four coaches, myself, Jim, and Max. That's it. We wow. did everything. Yeah. So we're, we're making, I remember, EAS milkshakes. Um, I got the blender, making the shakes, doing all that stuff. So it was a, a lot smaller. Mm. But I felt, feel like a lot of the things we did, uh, we were right at the top. You know, just like... Uh, bringing Team Fit and um, Eat Right and things like that to the NBA. Um, we were doing it, but the brilliant thing about the organization, um, they had faith in us and they let us do our thing. Um, and, and that was an amazing opportunity. That being said, uh, we spent a lot of time um, looking at the physiology, the mechanics, the nutrition of, of what the basketball players needed. And were you learning a lot? Do you feel like by, you start in 97, 98, part-time, full-time, right after that, do you feel like two, three years in, you kind of, okay, we have a process. I know what this is now. Or was it sooner, slower than that? How was well, it? See, here's the thing. If I did my 15th year, when I did year one, I remember taking Tony Bettie into the weight room and having squat 315 before a game. Oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> um, if I did yeah. what I did my first year, I'd be fired. That being said, I learned every single day. Right, right. On the job, it was amazing watching how these athletes work, listening to the coaches, um, being, being away and understanding what I didn't take advantage of. Hugely amazing opportunity. Um, but the thing is, it's evolving the entire time. Right. Um, and if you're open-minded, you've got a shot. If you're not, you can never, ever stay in the league. So here's where I want to go. We, we're going to get to the, the good years. But I, when you started, it was the bad years for, for the Nuggets for a lot. And just to give some people a background, in the late 90s, the ownership group for the Nuggets was sort of in flux. Ascent owned owned the Nuggets. Uh, Liberty Media bought Ascent and then told them to sell it. Ascent sold it to a guy. It got canceled. It didn't work out. Eventually went to the Cronkies. This took several years. And this was the years you first started. 
not coincidentally, the Nuggets had the worst record in basketball for those years, quite a bit in a row. Did, did that ownership stability when you first started out, could you sense it? And could you feel like, okay, this team is maybe in a spot where it, it didn't have a clear direction they were going? So initially with Ascent, Charlie Lyons was the CEO, that's my guy. Okay. So I trained him, um, he was progressive in his views, um, but there wasn't a standardized vision. Um, when Mr. Cronky came in, um, unbelievably standard, vi the, the vision was like, we want to win a championship. Mm. Um, we didn't quite know how, but that, that's the expectation. Um, upgraded everything, um, was always unbelievably amazing to me. Ultimate goal, find a way to win a championship. Now, is he gonna spend $500 million? No. He, he told me a thousand times, I learned so much from that man, I still do. I will do it being fiscally responsible. I have that opportunity, um, but are you kidding me? You went from not really knowing where you're at to having an interactive owner who believed in what you were doing and wanted to win a championship. I thought I'd won the lotto. Really? So from my perspective, 100% different. It, it's interesting to hear that. You don't hear, I mean, the nickname for Stan Kroenke is Silent Stan. He doesn't communicate very much. So nobody really knows what he's thinking. So you, 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 know, you rely on, on sort of these secondhand things. I want to get to some of these early players. The era wasn't great, but some of the players were great. Antonio McDice was there. What was your impressions of him when you got to work with him? Yo, 44-inch vert, yeah. freak nature. Yeah. That's my guy. You know, as I say, going back to it, um, you know, I remember going to visit him in the summers and uh, working in mouth, things like that. Um, I think initially there was a misdirection with him. Um, had he had come in at a later time, I think it would have been a different story. But Antonio, again, like he'll come in in the summer just playing around with 315. Um, he, 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 I mean, he's just an unbelievable athlete. Um, incredible. One of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. What do you remember? What's the scouting report you have on Antonio McDice? One of my, is my first favorite nugget or one of my first favorite nuggets? <clears throat> I don't really I don't really have a good recollection of him other than extremely talented. I remember in the draft we were evaluating him. Uh, we were in Seattle at the time and we thought we had a chance at him, but uh, I don't know if it was injuries that slowed him down right. or his progress. He had a couple good years, yeah, but yeah. I I don't think he ever reached his yep. potential. He never got to the to to the athletic ability. And he wasn't a bad basketball player, but uh, he just never got lucky or right. the pieces never came together and never connected for him. That, that's my recollection. A string of really tough injuries for him in, yep. early on in his career. And yeah, like you said, athleticism such a big part of it. Um, I loved his footwork in the post. Keon Clark was also there. He's also another one. This is one that's kind of gone. I just had to ask about him because again, this is my era. But he was another guy that really got up. What do you What do you remember about him? Yo, amazing, uh, amazing second jump. Really, yeah. really um, explosive. What I remember, I, I remember Keon. And again, he always had the answers. You know, if his baby toes hurting him, he'd cut a hole in the sh the, the shoe, and Jim would be like, "It's unsafe." He'd be like, "No." And um, the one thing about Keon, though, which I I do love. Um, and, and I'm not just saying this, um, <clears throat> and, and again, I apologize for my profanities. Go for it. But when people say they don't give a fuck, yeah. it enables them to maybe find greatness. And he really didn't give a fuck, and I respect that. Mm. Um, he practiced hard, played hard, lifted hard. Did he always buy into my systems? No, not really. Did he buy into my nutrition? No, but I'm okay with that because he, he did the best that he could at the time, um, but didn't have the most amazing bond with him, but still... Uh, respect him and respect his athleticism. The last guy, and I'll start with you on this one, Coach, because he's an interesting nugget. Rafe LaFrance, a third overall pick. You look at him, 
it didn't work out for him. Like he was another guy that Denver came in to be the cornerstone. It didn't work out. What do you think went wrong when you watch his career? And you look at it, he was a 37% three-point shooter. Did he come around too early, do you think? Uh, I was disappointed in Ray France because I thought he was going to be really good. Mm-hmm. I thought initially his first couple of years, everybody it looked like it was going in a good direction. He actually played with my USA team uh, in the World Games. And that his, you know, I don't know what Steve would think, but I, I, I never coached him in the NBA, but the month or so I coached him in a USA game, it didn't seem he had a passion for the game. Mm, it didn't seem like he really enjoyed the court. Uh, being on a USA team, you thought that you would think guys would get excited and fired up to to be a part of it. And uh, Rafe was kind of a laid back dude that just enjoyed what he had and and didn't push himself. I think to get the most out of his skills. And I could be totally wrong. Again, I never coached him in the NBA. Right. I only had him for a month on a USA basketball team. He certainly didn't play with a ton of fire. What do you remember about Rafe? I remember Rafe LaFrenz, one of my, um, a great friend of mine. Um, Joey's his wife. Um, again, I think he, his knowledge of the game is amazing. Footwork's amazing. Ability to shoot's amazing. Could have got more athletic. Um, sometimes I think he had a, a love for the game, um, but he didn't have that, um, that fire, that like uh, Kevin Garnett, like yeah. type things. And a lot of times on a long, tedious season, you've got to have some of that. Um, I don't, it doesn't have to show up like that. Um, could Leif, Rafe have been um, a, a franchise player? I believe absolutely. The, the gifts that he had. Right. But I even see it with Joe, the Joker. Um, he has that. Like I remember we, when he was a rookie, we were playing paintball. He wanted to kill everyone. But he's got that like that uh, <laughs> in him. You don't see it. Yeah. I don't know if Rafe had that now. That being said, the gifts and shit like that, unbelievable. And again, an unbelievable friend of mine. So it's kind of a tough situation. Hmm, that's interesting. What do you think? If you go back to 1999, it was a lockout year. So it was a re- weird year. But you had Mike D'Antoni was the head coach, went on to become one of the great coaches of the 2010s. You had uh, 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 Nick Van Axel. Chauncey Billups is there in his second season. You got Antonio McDice. But that at Ray LaFrance, you had some young talent, but it never got off the ground. If you just look at that 98 to 2003 era, what, what do you remember about it? And why didn't Denver ever get traction there, in your opinion? So I think Mike D'Antoni was there for one year. One year, yep. Um, so And he actually uh, no longer had the ability to do that when we went to the Pepsi Center. Um, I think Mike um, was, his vision was amazing. I remember distinctly, uh, prior to it not going great, we talking about how we were going to structure the specifics of practice as it would simulate games. Um, and I think it may have gone a little bit differently. And it's easy to say, hearsay, it may have gone differently if he had the opportunity to grow the team and spend right. some time with them. Because even that short t- time I was with him, he was a compassionate, smart coach um, that, that could be really beneficial. The, the issue is with the NBA, you gotta kinda win now. Right. Um, it, it's not, and I don't care what anyone says, it's not a feel good thing, uh, and that may have played into it. I kinda feel like those guys, um, Nick, look, it's the same with Nick, um, amazing when the lights on and the popcorn's popping, but doesn't adhere to everything everyone else wants to have him do. So what I feel a lot of times, the coach's um, direction at that time, you didn't coach the players, you coached the concept. And I think Mike does a really good job of coaching the players. 
Let's get into the mellow era here. Um, in 2003, so you go those, those first few years, I'm sure you're learning things on the fly. Team's kind of changing, new ownership, all this different stuff. 2003 feels like the beginning of a new era. I mean, the team changed colors. They changed the rebrand, everything, and then, of course, Carmelo arrives. First question is, were you watching the lottery that year? And did was there a buzz about the Nuggets had the best the, odds to yeah. win the lottery in the LeBron-Carmelo <clears throat> year? Were you personally invested in watching the lottery and like, oh, man, what, what's going to happen? Are you kidding me? So <laughs> they had a prototype of the new colors, and I wore that tank top to the draft. And they're like, you got to change. That hasn't been shown to anyone yet. Um, I mean, I really thought we had a chance at LeBron. Right. I don't know much about Melo. Um, and then again, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, when we had Dwayne Wade come work out right. with us, um, I'm telling you about my assistant. He used to play with the guys. Um, Dwayne Wade, yo, we're behind his back. Dunked. I'm like, my God, we got to take him. <laughs> um, Melo's workout, as I say, uh, we didn't kill him. Um, I, and again, I didn't spend a ton of time watching him play. So I really, like, I'm like, please, like, let's get LeBron. And I really thought we had that shot. Then once we got Mellow, and I don't know if we had had the second pick, if we would have taken right, I don't right, know. Right. I'm not going to say we would. I'm just saying, I don't know. What would your guess be if I told um, you you had to predict? Oh, sheesh. I, look, <laughs> Put I you think, on the you know, spot Stan may have, over, may yeah. have overridden that decision. Right. Um, Skidashvili the year before wasn't working out. To go... That's the only thing that but makes me wonder. that's what I'm saying. I think it may. So I don't know. Yeah. I, like, I honestly don't know. But fuck, that would have been a better move. <laughs> so, and then, like, once Melo rolled in, that dude's a beast. Yeah. George, what do you remember? The 2003 draft class is an all-timer. What do you remember before, in the lead-up to it? Did you have guys you really liked or disliked in that draft? Oh, man. That's, that's, that put, I know we were, um, you know, before I, before I came to Denver, I was in Milwaukee. And we knew Dwayne Wade. Right, yep. And, uh, you know, in 2003, I think I was still in Milwaukee. I don't know when I got fired. Maybe I got fired in 2003. Might have been, yeah. I think I got fired actually that summer. (laughs) Yeah. I think I got fired that summer. I was involved with the draft. Uh, We took T.J. Ford at nine. That's right. And we wanted to get, we wanted to get Wade. At, at, I think he went six or five. And um, we tried to get Wade more than anybody else because we knew he was in Milwaukee. He was in Milwaukee. We knew him. We, we thought he was going to be special. Um, you know, I know that LeBron, we all knew, was going to be right. dynamite. Um, but I, I think that the rumors I heard Denver was going to take Dark, Darko. Number two, yeah. That's what I mean. I remember that was the story. That was the word on the street. I mean, that, and that Kiki loved them. Yeah. And, and the scouts convinced them, but I, I don't know. The chain reaction, if you take a Serbian center and he busts the way that he did, I, I wonder if the ripple effect is you never get to Jokic. If you never get here, if it's like, if there's, if there's, I know it's years and decades later, this or that. No, but, but the thing is with Jokic, he's a second round pick. Yeah, it's later. Yeah, like, it's later. My guy, that's my dude. I love, that's my guy. But there was no pressure on him yeah. at all. We'll, we'll get to him. So just, you, Nene's also on the team. He had been there for a while. Just give me your impression then of, first we'll start with Carmelo, but also Nene, you first start working with them. Okay, so my impression of Melo, 
um, one of the favorite athletes I've ever worked with. Um, sometimes George and I would have our discussions about that. <laughs> yep, but I'm I'm just telling you, um, he he busts no, his off. You can't kiss everybody. No, 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 no. Listen, no, no, no. <laughs> you can't Mello, make love to everybody. No, but Mellow for real. I am telling you, never miss practice. Yeah. Never miss games. Oh my God. Busted his ass in the oh weight room. God. Now, here's the thing. So, and this is the thing where George and I just and I learned this. Melvin Hunt once said to me, Melvin Hunt is chilled. And I, I'm not chilled. I'm totally hyped. I'm like Russell West oh, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And Melvin said to me, you can't have swag, which is low-key. Melo got crazy low-key swag. Okay. And the shit he do, did from a rookie all the way right. on, never miss the playoffs, get triple team, play out of the triple team. The dude is a fucking freak of nature. And when he sees out of the league, I'm like, that is bullshit. He is uh. a freak of nature. I love that guy. George, you almost look like you want to rebuttal this. I mean, like we kind of know some of your takes on him, but if you if you have something to add here, you know, we live in an age of kind of fibbing to the media, lying, not telling total truths, and Hess is politically correct. <laughs> Jeez, you know, he likes to be politically correct. He lo he loves everybody. Everybody works hard. Well, that's the and it's the head coach's problem. It's not the players' problem. <laughs> What about Nene? So let me just go oh, back. Go, oh, sure, okay. sure. So, no, no, no. So, no, no, so, no, 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 so no, good about Nene. I no, want to hear this. No, but so, so here's the thing. We're in March. Melo's averaging 36 minutes right. a game. Yep. His body fat went from like 19 to 9. Wow. So Through my, the course of the season. Yeah. I mean, he was like, he got down to 218. Okay. The dude was, George comes to me. Yo, this dude is sluggish. You man, you got to run sixes on the side of Melo. I'm like, George sluggish he's about he needs a b12 shot not running sixes so george is on his ass yeah. i'm gonna tell you nene athletic as shit do i think he had an intrinsic love for the game of basketball no now mellow did so what i'm saying this way george george can say whatever you want there's certain dudes mellow jr right. ai when the fucking game starts that's all they give a shit about they live for right. it I don't, I, I don't, I don't think Nene lived for it. And what ends up, I think, unbelievably athletic, hugely talented. Two thousand nine, we make that run. But that being said, if you're going to roll into the NBA, nine preseason, eighty-two regular season, go to the playoffs, you got to have a different mindset. Mm. You got to be a mutant because you are going to be fucked up. Right. So if you're worried about anything hurting, it's a wrap. Right. So the, and that comes out of the true love. Now, passionate about so much, so many other things. Wasn't in love with basketball. Mm. Seems like a common thing for bigs. I mean, just talk with Rafe, this or that. I mean, being seven feet tall, you're self-selected for the NBA a little bit, but not everybody chooses that. So I, I feel like that's the common theme there. Like You get a, more bigs who are less interested in basketball than any other spot. Well, I think there are going to be more and more bigs like the game because we're, right. not letting, yep. the, we're letting the bigs go outside more. Right. Uh, but, the, I mean, I'll agree that big, big guys in the old days, in the, in the 1990s and the 2000s, the wrestling matches and the hugging, elbow and asshole game. Right. It was real. It was real. It was a fight in many ways. And Nene might be one of the strongest guys I've ever coached. Uh, that's that's like he'll grab you. I mean, you like dude, you, he swung. <laughs> exactly. He swung on Aloha Candy once when we were playing the Clippers. If he connected, he he would have decapitated. <laughs> there, and there, he and really he, was a he was a monster. Yo, and agile yeah. and quick and explosive, Mike. Man. What stood out about that first season? I mean, this is pre-George pre Carl that first year, but if he just kind of encapsulated, Nuggets ended up losing to the KG Wolves that year in the first round, but what do you remember about that first mellow year? 
are you uh, so firstly my, my man Jeff Bastillic I got so much respect for him yeah. blue collar hard working um, we're all in this together shirts tucked in you have practice with the ball that goes out you just just hard working and he created that culture we don't go to the playoffs without mellow right. so so what I as my first year in the playoffs I'm freaking ecstatic um, the, ho the whole thing just it, it was just an amazing amazing thing I remember Michael Jordan came um, one of the games to, and wanted to speak to Melo and I'm just like this is Melo's time it was like right. it was just the most amazing thing I mean you've been there seven years before you go to the playoffs that shit was amazing so the next year so the team had added pieces Marcus Camby arrived before Melo one year Andre Miller arrived with with Carmelo, the next year you get Kenyon Martin, so you're not only adding Melo and you have Nene coming along, but you're starting to add veteran guys who can help get you over the hump. So you add Kenyon. Coach Bezdelic was let go that next year, and, and uh, Cooper took over for a little bit, and then ultimately George arrived. I'll, I'll go to you on this one first, but just what was it like when George arrived? The team ended up finishing on a really big hot streak to finish the year, but what do you remember about when he oh, arrived? Man, I remember distinctly. Like, I was depressed at that point. We got our asses kicked by Detroit, and we're going to Indiana. Um, they tell me like George is coming. I'm walking. We play Milwaukee first. <laughs> oh wow! They, oh, well, I, of course he's gonna remember that so detail. So we beat Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. so, ten in the fourth. So we beat Milwaukee. Then we go to Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. So the thing we always got our asses kicked in Milwaukee and Indiana. So we win Milwaukee. So I think this dude's legit. Then we go to Indiana. We're getting our ass kicked. We're coming at the half, and he simply says, "Pick up the corners in the paint. That's all you guys got to do, and we'll win this game." We beat Indiana. I'm like, hell yeah. This is going to be amazing. Little did I know he was going to kick my ass for three years. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You did have hope. And yeah. every year, you're like, we could win a championship. Uh, and, before, and here's the thing. And again, I'm not blowing him. I'm not being politically correct. As a basketball savant, the dude is a fucking genius. As um, socially, politically <laughs> correct, a total ass. And nine out of ten people will be the biggest ass. But when it comes to fucking basketball, the dude is a freak. Did you know that about him, though, before he arrived? Was that the reputation? Like, hey, this is a guy that's going to tell so, it like it is. So here's the thing. 90% of um, the information I got about everyone until I met him ah, never turned out being good that. Rule. So, so my thing is with George, um, here's what I know. He absolutely, unequivocally lived for the game. Lived for the game. Um, and if he didn't like something, he's going to say it, and it'd be real and not politically correct. And if you had a feeling, you may want to lose your feeling. And if you had thin skin like I did, good fucking luck. <laughs> but that being said, when it came to it, it didn't matter what game and how much you were down, you always had hope. Coach, this is the first time we've talked about your arrival with the Denver Nuggets and any of the shows we've done. What was your mind frame and like what, how much did you have a game plan in place when you arrived versus you just showed up and said, let me learn what's going on with this team? Um, I thought the team was underachieving. You know, uh, I had some conversations with Denver uh, right after Bastelli got let go. And, you know, we were talking and I told him I thought, I thought they were a playoff team. And so when I got here, that was the theme. Mm -hmm. that, uh, that we're underachieving, we're not playing up to our level of talent, and it's our job to change that. Uh, the things I remember were we had, we had a, a pretty good coaching staff, but it was divided. Mm. And uh, I remember we played uh, the last game before the All-Star break was in Charlotte, and I made the decision I had to get Doug Moe on the bench. I had to get Doug right. Moe back. Because 
my evaluation of the organization was Doug Moe got along with everybody. Mm. Doug Moe was kind of the funny guy that everybody liked to be around. And, and our organization was kind of apart, and we had to bring it together. And Doug Moe was one putting him back on the bench. And I want you to know, Doug did not want to go on the bench. And Big Jane didn't want Doug to go on the bench. <laughs> but I asked him, and I said, Doug, you don't have to do anything except be my friend. Right. And be hard on me when I need to be, be, be handled hard. And, and Doug, Doug is just a personality but a competitive son of a bitch. Right. I mean, Doug, Doug doesn't like losing. He wants to win every game. And, it, and I thought that was a unifying factor. Um, I think at the end of the year is when we got Gerg, right? Yep. At the end of the year, we got Gerg, and then the, maybe the next year we got John Welsh. And so we had our, our player development totally under control. Uh, but, I, you know, the run we went on was amazing. Well, I want to talk about that. I mean, I mean, well, I, mean I, 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 think, I think I won coach of the month four months in a row. <laughs> to end the year? It was, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I mean, does that happen? I mean, we just had kept, it kept going. I think, uh, I don't know what our record was, but we very seldom lost at home. And that was a big, a big thing of not only myself, but Doug and Kiki, that the home court, we got to take advantage of it. And then the other key to the game that um, I know all my, all my Andre Miller haters out there will hate this comment, but Andre Miller was so good for a coach to come in and take over a team because right. he coached, the, you know, right, Andre right. Miller could have coached the team. That's, right. how, that's how basketball IQ and savvy he has. But, and also man, toughness, I, I imagine, is important at that <clears> too, to get to be heard. <laughs> but Andre Miller would call plays I never even heard of. I'm, I'm sitting on the bench, and he called play. I go, what's that? What are we going to do? But He had a secret playbook. I mean, there were some things that came together. And I remember winning the first game in the playoffs against San Antonio. And, and, then, and then I remember game three. We'll, we, get, we'll get there. Let me put a yeah. hold, hold on this. Just how quickly did you feel things were different? when? So first thing, let me go back to Andre Miller. Yo, people under the misconception, he's one of the best athletes in the first three steps ever. Toughness, I'm gonna tell you toughness. This dude tears his rotator cuff, full thickness tear, and then plays the next game. Right. The toughest cat on the planet. He is a straight up hummer. How, how, I'm just telling you, when George came in, we were the thuggets. Um, he created a family um, uh, among the coaches with 2.47 on the clock. They beating the shit, us did it twice, I'm like, fuck that. They beating the shit out of each other. Each game, yeah. we were like, yo, we yeah. were so fired up, like we all <laughs> wanted cool. to fight. I mean, it's like, I, I, that's the thing. I met. It's your like blood. that. Oh, it was, it was, uh, that was the thing. Now, let me tell you though, you lost, man, you want to shoot yourself. No, it came back at you. Oh it started being pointed that, that way. It's like, this way. They're, they're, and listen, if he's in a bad mood, it's a fucking two hour practice. <laughs> and he'll stand in the corner and he, it, it's going. But that being said, like you had this concept, you could win every game. Um, and when you lost, you're like, I don't want to fucking lose again. So George says whenever he'd get mad at Mello, he'd have to yell at somebody else what he wanted to yell at Yellow. So he'd yell at Anthony Carter to get back on defense better, but really he's saying this. Was it the same for coaches? Was he yelling at you 
no, in a way no. that no. George, George. The one thing is, he's asked me in the first three years. I'm gonna tell you again. I don't yeah. know how to quit. That being said, never micromanage me. Mm. And Gergs is to this day one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, this, this is one of the most unbelievable basketball coaches, savant, John Welsh, um, the one of the best player development. But we're not playing. Guys are coming in. They're getting better. Right. But we're not. We're not playing. And George. Put this all together, and, and as I say, uh, we we were in it. Yeah, we were in it to win it. So I remember this playoff run. That's why I wanted to stop you. The Nuggets win Game One on the road against right. the Spurs. Spurs go on to win the title. This one, spoiler alert here, but they go on to win the title. Uh, this is 2005. Get blown out in Game Two on the road. It kind of as expected, I guess. But you come back. It's a close loss in Game Three. In Game Four, I was at. It was an overtime loss, and Tony Parker just caught fire in the fourth in an overtime. I thought Denver, I think the, everybody in that arena thought Denver had that one, and, and, you blow, and the team blows it. Then game five, you, know, you lose, you end up losing in five. They go on to win the title. What do you think the team needed to learn in that series? What was the lesson from that one? The first year of the Mellow era, they get blown out by the, by the Wolves, whatever. This one felt more like a springboard, to me at least. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I just thought, I was disappointed that we didn't make it a longer series because mm. I think you learn things every game. Every game you learn a little bit more about what you need to do and what you can't do. And so I was disappointed and go six or seven. Um, but I think as a team, we realized that San Antonio being the best, right. we were not that far away. Going. So when I joined the team in January, they were seven games, I think, out of the playoffs. And so now, within three or four months, we're playing a team that won the championship. And so I thought it was on us as a team to get better, to come together. It's on the management to find maybe another piece or two to put it together. And the coaching staff was into getting better. Uh, how do we get stronger, better, tougher, smarter? And uh, it was a great... I mean, it, we were disappointed at how we finished the San Antonio series. The two home games, we could have won. Right. Very easily. Oh, so they're both so close. Could have won both, and we could have been up 3-1. By the way, do you remember the scores in these games? Uh, they're low hundreds. No. 78-84, 81-86. to 86. These were oh. these were grinded-out slugfests that you were seeing in that series San the whole Antonio. way through. In fact, I think there were, out of the five-game series, I think – only 100 was only scored once or twice? Well, San Antonio, had, they were into slowing the yep. game down at that time. They, they were much more into a possession game. All-time defensive players. Uh, they they evolved game. into a little a faster team later on. Right. Uh, but they were definitely – they controlled the tempo. And, 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 you know, I think Melo being a young player, I thought learned a lot in that series about being the difference between a regular season and a playoff game. Right, uh, right. And, and I think San, San Antonio showed their pedigree, showed their character, sh showed that they're a soulful team the way they came back right. and kicked our butts in game two and then, of course, taking the series. Do you remember, Steve, did that playoff run feel different than the first playoff run? So, like, again, I'm going to reiterate it. Um, the first playoff run... Uh, I felt we were just lucky to be there. Right, right. Um, the second playoff run, like when we lost the series, I'm in tears because I really believed, I didn't kind of think, I believed we were going to win. So, so what I'm saying is um, it's a different belief system. Right. It's, so it totally feels different. I, I'm just happy to be the first one. Right. Uh, and the second one is like, I really believe we're going to win it. By the way, I feel like that 
I felt that way as a fan, <laughs> you know, watching in 2003. is like, oh, sweet, we get to be in one round of the playoffs, whereas the next one, as games three, games four especially, I was like, hey, this, man, they got them. They're just as good as this team is, uh, and it felt a lot different. Let's take a quick break, then I want to come back. We're going to get into Iverson. We're going to get into Chauncey. We're going to get into all of this, but we got to shout out our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers right now can bet just $1, uh, and if your team scores a single point, in Sunday's games, you win $100 in free bets. DraftKings Sportsbook customers also get skin in the game with same-game parlays. We do this for almost every single Nuggets game. You could put Jokic points and parlay it with the Nuggets win. Almost always works. Don't listen to what George Carl tells you. It happens more often than not. The Nuggets win this year. Jokic plays great this year. Uh, DraftKings is safe, secure, and liable. Best I'm not of all. down on Jokic. <laughs> That's what you said. That's what I'm I heard. I heard you said you're Jokic. down. You said he's no good, man. I can't believe it. Oh, um, my God. I'm down on some <laughs> other things. I'm not down on Jokic. Uh, DraftKings safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the top-rated sportsbook app right now and get that deal. One dollar if your team scores, you win. hundred dollars in free bets. Must be twenty-one or older. Colorado only. <laughs> New restrictions on, uh, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call one 4700 So you follow up. That's your. You get half a season. I think the team was 38-12 and 12, to go to your belief about beating that team. I mean, of course you did. You were winning almost every single night for the back half of the entire season. The next year, though, to, seemed like a bit of a letdown almost in some ways. Could only win 44 games, um, you know, and then end up losing to the Clippers that year. What do you remember about your first full year with the Nuggets, Coach? We couldn't shoot. Mm. We can't shoot the ball. We couldn't make the three. More double teams, more crowded. The paint got crowded to the point where people controlled us. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it, it was probably the most dis disappointing year I felt in my time here in Denver was we thought we'd be a better team than that. And uh, we kind of never got into that hot period of, of in a good flow or good rhythm. Uh, and to be honest with you, I try to forget those years. You know? <laughs> I remember in the playoffs, we were so bad from the three-point line. It was just like the world. It was saying, we need a shooter. And then we draft Julius Hodge. And right, yeah. Who was the worst shooter I've ever coached here in Denver. Yeah. So I, I was confused by that. But we got Cleese in that draft, right. I think. And he, he turned out to be a really good find. I think there was someone else in that draft we we had a good run with. I don't I don't remember who the other player was. I have Klaza in, in here as, as my guy. What do you remember about that season, the first full season with George? Um, you know, it's like I just remember the playoff series. Um, I, re I remember the disappointment in that uh, because I kind of felt in that playoff series, up until that point, you're kind of in a cloud when you're, you you can't be beaten. Right. Uh, and you, you honestly feel like you're immortal. And this was the first time and I can remember sitting on the ground at one of the shoot rounds I think we are mortal I mean I don't know if we're gonna get out of this and I'm, I'm pretty positive and pretty optimistic but the, it was the first time I felt like um, I don't know if we're gonna beat these guys and that's um, that, that's from my perspective and then a lot of times like um, I, I felt the guys um, weren't pulling together necessarily um, like even like Gergs and I would have um, so, some issues with some of the players and they, they just go freaking nuts uh, and I'm like, it's too soon to go freaking nuts. Right. Um, so, so just that that was a little bit like, as I say, I mean, I had done it so long, still excited to be in the playoff. But that was one where I'm like, I think we're fucked. And, and, and the Clippers were a good teammate. Yeah. The Clippers yeah. weren't very good, but that was that one, one year, year that yep. they were, they were a damn good basketball team. So the next year is the Iverson year, and of course the story here is Melo gets into the the brawl at the at, you know. 
I, I was, it was funny, man. When Jokic got suspended the other day, I famously said five games. I think he's going to get five games when I saw it live. And the reason I said that is because I always remember the Mello gets 15 games for that, for that altercation. Of course, different commissioner, different time, this or that. But Mello gets thrown out. George, did that speed up the process of getting Ivory? Were there talks? And then it was like, hey, we need to go now because we're not going to have Mello for 15 games. Um, you don't remember? I thought the brawl was like in January. I thought the I thought that this happened and, and then it was right after. Iverson, we picked up in November. Okay, so is I'm out of order on my timeline here. I yeah, really. We got we got Iverson. We were this? like one and two. No, we got Iverson after the brawl. Afterwards, <laughs> we trade. That's when we traded um, Andre. Okay, uh, and we got Iverson. So I'm pretty sure it was after the brawl, and I do think the the whole system was speeding. Okay, because I don't AI think AI Chauncey trade was in. The yeah, race. I th yeah, you're right. Because what I think happened was <coughs> there was a delayed sort of gratification for Nuggets fans because Iverson mm. played a bunch of games before Melo returned, so you had to sort of wait wait for that. But either way, so l let me let me ask. I'm going to go to Steve on this one. Just Allen Iverson. What were your first impressions of him? Always here, one of the greatest athletes, pound for pound of all time. What were some of your early impressions? So I'll give you a story. I said to him the one time, uh, we were running speed and conditioning duels. I said, my God, you're one of the best athletes I've ever seen. He says to me, one of. <laughs> so and then the other thing about AI, AI, same thing. Everyone tell me, he doesn't lift, doesn't do this. Never missed a lift. Now, really? were the issues? Never missed a lift. Mm. Three times a week, locked in, were there ever issues? Hell yeah, but what I'm saying about him, he look, he a warrior, man. He breaks his finger, next day he plays. Right. Um, things like we're in Utah, and I'm stretching out Mela, and I'm like, yo, franchise, come over here. AI will say to me, franchise, Steve, how many guys does it take to win a, a game? Five, shut the fuck up. They ain't one franchise. So, uh, again, um, an unbelievable, listen, this dude is magical. I remember when he's um, with Philly, and one of my guys is his boy, and he, they come to play us. I'm like, please, go get him lit. So they went out that night. He went to bed <laughs> seven o'clock. Came in and still scored forty on really? us. So um, again, no, nah, he, he he's like the cool thing about what I get to do. The dudes that want to fucking play basketball, those they that excites me. And then watching him, he, the dude is unbelievable. Yeah. What about J.R. Smith? He also arrives that year. Another great athlete. Now J.R. is one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. Uh, once again. Um, and I'm going I'm to say this for George because I know he's going to be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> J.R. Smith is a straight-up lion, and he's not a cat, and you can't be trained. He's a lion. <laughs> My dude is a lion, so let him do lion things. Now, are there consequences? Hell yeah. Right. But can he ball? Hell yeah. Would I want to coach him? No. Would I want to be a strength <laughs> coach? Absolutely. Do I want him on a good night? All day. Do I want him on a bad night? Hell no. But that's the cool thing about <laughs> right, being a strength right. coach, George. Was he a lion, George? That's a good I like that. I like that a little not bit. A house, not a house cat. You're, yeah, you're not going to be able to train him. You're, gonna, you're not going <laughs> to. Yeah. I mean, JR did, did really well for us, I thought. I just thought we, you know, the, the playoffs got, the stress of the playoffs, I think, got, it never fit. It never worked in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. But I, I really admire JR for what he did with his talents. Uh, an explosive guy off the bench is something I love to have in my personality. And we had that because of J.R. Smith many, many times. Uh, the one thing about the AI trade that I remember that I, it was held up a little bit because I didn't want to trade Andre. Mm, right. I wanted to keep Andre. You were right about that. Uh, because I thought Andre and AI would have worked a lot would better have. Than, uh, Carter, you know, than Anthony Carter than AI. But... 
Um, I thought that was the one thing, again, the, the basketball savvy and IQ of Andre is pretty, pretty important to a team that's trying to become a championship team. And, uh, and then I think the AI mellow experience that we thought was, could work or might work, it kind of it worked a little bit. And, and, and instead of going to the positive of working better, as it wore on, it kind of wore out a little bit. Yeah. And I think players were understanding that it was difficult to find shots. Right. With the two guys that want to shoot it 20 times a game. And so it created a little bit of a negative energy on our basketball Short team. Short lived. It was basically two seasons. I know it spanned right. three, but it was basically two. That next year, you win 50 games and we're an eight seed. It was one of the all time tough. Top of the West and, years and had to ever. Make a hell of a run. Had to make because I think yeah, the nine seed was forty eight wins. So you think right. about that, forty eight wins and up is nine teams is pretty wild. Um, the, that team you mentioned the Thuggets earlier in two thousand four. That was the year where people usually would refer to it. But to me, that's the most popular Nuggets team of my lifetime. Did you feel when Iverson arrived and J.R. Smith's on the scene and Kenyon and Mello and did you feel like that was when the fan base was most invested at least up until that point? Well, when we went to the Western Conference Finals, and that was 2009. That was after that, yeah. Yeah, so that's when it was like every single game was packed. Mm. Maybe people driving by my house and honking. So, <laughs> But this over here was like, it was a different show. I mean, you were like proud to be associated, every aspect right. of it. So, and we, we were bad, man. It's like, yeah. um, we, we, we could take on any team, I think on or off the court. Right, right. Like even to the point, so... That is like when from that from that period on, you're just blessed to be part of this unbelievable organization. They weren't going to take any shit. Right, Iverson, all time, just cool guy. I mean, I think everybody, whatever you think about him, everybody looks at him as like, hey man, that's a celebrity right there, and that's why I think they're the team was so. Yeah, popular. but here's the thing with AI too, and this is this is why people, if you don't know him, keep yeah. your opinions to yourself. If I'm, he, he's always in the shop. I take him back from the airport. I got a jeep with a soft top. The dude is so like, oh, hell yeah. I mean, so everyone's got these. Until you know these guys and you spend time with them when it's tough, is it perfect? Absolutely not. But you can't have an opinion on them and just you spend a ton of time with them. And that kills me. Like, oh, I know Kobe. I saw him in an interview. God bless him. No, you don't. Right, right. This is, you don't know him. So what about Iverson there? It's that like, what is it about him that you feel is killer, most? Yo, killer instinct. Oh. So we're playing, this is when uh, Big Fellow was with Houston. I, AI takes it into the hole three times and gets swatted. I'm like looking like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. He goes in, scores on the fourth time, he comes to the bench. I'm like, my guy, are you nuts? <laughs> He's like, my, I just saw the one time and yeah. it went in, didn't it? Yeah. So I'm like, he is he is a different human Wired being. Wired that way, yeah. Uh, all right, the, the Chauncey trade, um, you know, Coach Carl has said that he knew within days that this was a team now, that Chauncey was a piece that really brought things together. Do you feel the same way? 100%. Chauncey is a, a leader. Uh, he leads by example. Um, he he's tactical. So unlike George, he doesn't hurt people's feelings. <laughs> so he empowers them. Oh, yeah. uh, he has a tact. <laughs> he has a tact to him. He, oh um, yeah. So so what I'm saying with you know you got um, George and as I said the one thing I'm getting I'm going to go back to George puts together a coaching staff uh, that enhances what George is trying to do. Then you bring a guy like this who the town loves. Um, he pulls the guys together. Um, he's a tough dude. Um, that, that was I'm like, yo, I'm this this is the guy yeah. um, with Melo and with Coach. Um, so I think the two, you know, you got George Melo um, and uh, Chauncey, and then possibly initially Kiki, and then definitely stand on the ownership. 
they changed what the Denver Nuggets looked like. Mm. Interesting. We go to that playoff series. It dominated the Hornets. I mean, that series, 4-1, four, four, but game four that was the b- biggest blowout in NBA playoff history. Best basketball game I've ever seen. <laughs> that shit was so bad. Off. I mean, when we I'm played the Hornets, I go to shoot around. I loaded the rack with 405. Their strength coach says to me before the game, who does 405 on your team? I'm like, everybody. Where's <laughs> <laughs> nice 405? 405 Five pounds, pounds on the bench. Yeah. Like, no one did it. But I loaded it up. He's like, yes, you're bullshitting. I'm like, oh, my God. And we do a pregame. <laughs> we do a pregame. I love it. Um, so I have to imagine that playoff felt different. Then. I mean, you're now in the playoffs. This is, I think, five, six years Six, seven years. I can't. I have to do the math here. Six years. My God, you're asking me. Yeah. That shit was like I just died and went to heaven. <laughs> that was the coolest shit ever. You go and spank another team with you got your guys who put in all this hard work. That first series unbelievable. Then you hit them. You go to the Mavs. Oh man, dude, unbelievable. The Mavs was a, a route too. I mean, it was four one. There wasn't a fifty point win in there, but it was the same thing where every game the better team. It was very clear where the better team was. I remember Kenyon and Cuban going at it. Yeah. I mean, these are my dogs. This was like, we, we beat them in the final series. My family's over yeah. there. They're like clapping like I did some shit. Yeah. But to be a part of that was just magical. Me, we rewatched that whole series. When the pandemic hit, we had to find things to uh-huh. do. So we rewatched that whole series uh, with our audience. And one of the first plays of the first game is Kenyon just chucks Dirk Nowitzki. And it was a kind of a cheap shot. I mean, honestly, he comes through and he just shoves him to the ground and he gets a foul. And it was just one of those ones where it was like, hey, he's. it was so clear he was sending a message. But also, the message was received. Like that team kind of was looking at him like, oh, my. I really liked that matchup, Dirk and, and Kenyon, because, because Kenyon wanted for us. But Dirk still was a pretty damn good yeah, player. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have a bad series, but we, we had control of him in the series. And, uh, and Jason Terry hadn't jumped into the game plan like he did a couple of years later. So if you're confident when you're dominating the Hornets, you're confident when you're dominating the Mavs, what were your impressions going up against Kobe and the Lakers? Before the series began, what were you thinking? So the only thing that um, freaks me out is Kobe. Yeah. Because he's an assassin. Yeah. Um, and I respect him um, so much. And when people say, you know, he does this and this, I've seen him do yeah. this and this. Like he'd be in my gym at four, four after hours, um, stuff on the courts. I know that, that scared me, but I still think, I thought we would kill him. Mm. And I'm like, like, honest to God, I thought we were gonna win a championship. I, I, I nearly did a Bobby Medina's, and I know he's going to know what I'm talking about. I nearly spent the playoff check before I got it. <laughs> <laughs> <I love that. laughs> uh, 2010 season, we got to hurry along because I know we're running out of time here, but 2010 season, it's a 35 and 18 start. Do you, did you feel that year that it was run it back, we got another chance, we're even better this year? What was your impression before news came out that George Carl's going to have to step away? Like that was, I, I really feel like, and then, and then we played Utah that year, right? In the first yeah, round. Yep. Um, so as I say, that's our leader. Um, like once once he's out, I'm like, we're fucked. You kind of um, Just it's, it's not only, it's like, I hate to say this, and fuck, if he was my dad, I'd probably shoot myself. But it was like your father or the father figure right. of the whole thing was out. So there's a letdown. Even when he was sick on a practice, everyone would be like, hell yeah. Even me, I'd be like, no one looking over my shoulder. Yeah. No one's going to be like, "Hess, what's going on? But you knew he held you accountable. So right then, I'm like, we got too many dudes that we got to hold each other accountable. So I knew, I, I just like knew we were, we were fucked. 
if we go to the melodrama kind of kind of going around obviously that season it ends 4-2 the nuggets were the th- third best offense i think the number one record you know coach carl is the coach of the all-star game and then steps away and it just kind of fell apart as you mentioned there and they end up losing um, the melodrama is the next year, but before we get to that, Ty Lawson's a big a, a fan favorite. He arrives that next year as well. Coach, I'll start with you on this one. What were your first impressions? It is a veteran team at this point, but what were your impressions of Ty Lawson as a player? We had Ty Lawson in the top five of that draft mm. as a, as a scouting. How much is that your Tar Heel bias? I I don't I don't get involved with the draft. Okay, I I mean I got involved with. They wanted me to find out the real story about what Ty was right, doing right. back in Chapel Hill. But I, I very seldom study college basketball and uh, draft. I watch the workouts. I shake hands. I take them to lunch. I go to dinner with them. But when you get them in and you start working with them? Uh, Ty, Ty took care of Anytime Ty is on the basketball court playing basketball, he does impressive things. And I think the, the veterans picked up on Ty very quickly. I remember like a week into workouts before we started practice, Kenyon Martin come to me and said, Coach, you got to play this guy. You're going to have to play this guy. Mm. And, uh, you know, he proved us right. And, and then the next thing we were thinking was, you know, Ty and Chauncey together will work. Right. Uh, and fortunately, we didn't play a lot that year together. But then when we made the trade, we, we would play uh, Felton. Right, right. Raymond Felton and him together, which worked out to be tremendous. And then we turned Raymond Felton back into Andre Miller. And, uh, you know, after the mellow trade, I thought we got a, we, we, we sustained being a good team and got a little bit better every year after that. I, I, don't, I doubt he would show up as your best athletes list, but Ty Loss was probably one of the fastest guys no, you worked he's with. he's an athlete. Really? So, now, here's the other thing, too, though. And this is where people get – so I think George's run and gun – um, and that right. whole speed thing, and then you got some really amazing bigs, open lanes for Ty, so it allows him to do what he wants to do, but I don't think he's as successful as he is um, without the system that George had. Mm. I mean, that system, watching that cat move, he's, a, like, as Lightning. I say, unbelievable. Yeah. I think he might be faster with the ball than he without is. the ball. 100%. So I know you, so Gallo comes over, Wilson Chandler comes over, Moskov, I know Gallo still works out with you uh, quite a bit. What were your first impressions and you know, is he a guy that you've bonded with and sort of kept in touch with, especially to every year, free of charge, yeah. first class? <laughs> That's why I did it to go to Italy every yeah. year. <laughs> so, and then the one year George came with me, he books his ticket last minute. Yeah. He's sitting in the middle with two fat guys. Okay. He go, Hess, come sit over here. <laughs> Holy shit! Wow, oh my God, dog. come on. And then listen. So I got to tell you, and then I'll go quick. Yeah. We rent a car, so George would go watch Kobe shoot yeah. around. Then we'll go to Gallo. So it's like eight, eighteen hour days for me and John. Yeah. So George would make me drive to Gallo. <laughs> place and the fucker would go to sleep so they had this thing on the car that if you exceeded the speed it would go beep 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 you fall asleep i go over there and go beep beep, beep. It's like what's that was i don't know i don't know so gallows be my like gallows family yeah. so i train him every year and yeah. we had that bond all the way through same with wilson i used to call wilson my son um so gallo and i have always had an amazing bond where does that 2013 season rank and you kind of look at all your time with the nuggets is that is one that of, when gallo got hurt uh, no that was the well yes it's the 57 win season okay gallo gets hurt the so that home. we went on a 16 a 15 yep. game winning streak george calls me in the office what do you think i'm like this is the coolest shit ever <laughs> we run dudes out of the gym yep. in quarter one they'd be on the side sucking oxygen 
man, they didn't even want to come into our facility. We would just run them out of here. Yeah. And that's when you're looking at that whole run and gun thing. We were so badass. Yeah. Um, he doesn't get injured. And people forget, Manimal had a huge ankle sprain. So he's coming off an ankle sprain. Gallo doesn't get different. And, right, and I'll tell you right. something else. I don't Free think. missed the first two games. Yeah, Free yeah, missed so games. Here's the yeah. thing. I don't think Golden State, because that's when Big Fella hurt his groin. Yep. So I don't think Golden State becomes Golden State David Lee, yep. without that happening to us. Yep. So that was like, that That was, but, but fuck, we were good. We yeah. were so good. Oh my, you were lucky to beat us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially in Denver, man, yep. that year. Uh, we got to speed through here. We're going to skip some of the, the 2013 to 16 era, but you did catch a couple years with uh, Nikola Jokic, uh, Michael Malone, and, and some of the new faces, Will Barton. What was your first impression of Nikola Jokic when you, you, when you met him? And when did you first hear that this is a guy? So, um, Tim, so we drafted Nikola and um, Nurk. Nurk. So we came in, we spoke to that. They had a, we had a rookie transition. Um, Jameer Nelson hooked it up in Philadelphia. I remember. Myself and Dan were the only two who were there. Um, um, the Joker was there. That's what I'm telling you. My guy, him and Wilson were on my team. We killed Jameer. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this dude was an assassin. Here's the thing about the Joker. At paintball. Killed him. We have a we, theory because we know he played spike ball one time as a team and he dominated that as well. I think he might just be good at everything that well, involves hand eye coordination. Yeah, but here's the thing because he's passionate about it, there's no fucking drama. Yeah. So here's the thing about him this dude is the most humble, yeah. unbelievably wonderful person I've ever met off the court. On the court, he's a killer. Yeah. And people don't see that shit. So he asked me about him. Uh, again, he lost like 40 pounds right. the first year. Do whatever you asked him to do. Tough as shit. But just unbelievable. He don't care what he's wearing, what he's driving, none of that. Just basketball. Just a solid human being. What do people maybe not know about? I mean, that part, you know, you hear that from everybody, even players that come through this or that. Um, you know, just working with him. I, I guess I would ask you this. Did you know early on that he was a future MVP caliber player? So here's the thing. He went to Gergs's rookie camp. Gergs called me up. He said, you better take care of this guy. This dude is going to be unbelievable. Really? Swear to God. Okay. Gergs called me up. I called Tim Conley up after the paintball game. I'm like, this dude is going to be an all-star. <laughs> Tim's like, you watch him play? I'm like, hell no. We fucking dominated <laughs> paintball. paintball. They, they he hits me up. You better take care of this dude or I'm going to kick your ass. He is going to be fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And then Will Barton. I know Murray was like, you were, you were barely around him, I think. Maybe spent one season. I don't know if you have any. Two, Murray. Two, oh, two. Bi bilateral abdominal tears. Dude played 82 games. One of the toughest individuals on the planet. Mm. No drama. Just again, a solid, tough guy. Love Murray. Will Barton, that's my dude. We still do a little bit of stuff right now. Again, always underestimated, rises above it, right. doesn't read the negative press, right. solid human being. I, I love it. Um, we went a little bit long. Let me give you a rapid fire list here because I know people will get mad if I don't ask this, these ones. Um, first of all, just what's your relationship with the team now and like how much are you talking to guys and, and, and sort of what would you say the status is of that? So, I mean, I talk to guys like you would friends. Um, Felipe does an amazing job. I think they yeah. do an amazing job. I'm not locked in. Um, I, I'm director of my own facility, Panorama Wellness and Sports Institute, but I'm locked in. I'm working 17-hour days. So when people say like one more, I, like a lot of times I don't even have the ability to watch games Blessed in what I do, um, but again, love the Nuggets, will die a Nugget fan and part of it, but we all get on with our lives. Right. Hardest workers you've worked with in Denver? Anthony you Carter. Name? Anthony Carter. Anthony Carter. Really? Dude would irritate me. On the road, Sheldon Williams. On the road, 8, 8 a.m. we lifted. We got in at 4, I get a call, let's go. I'm like, really? I'm wow. And here's the crazy thing. 
He wants my son out, and Devin, Devin's going to be in the NBA. Anthony Carter, <laughs> hands down, hardest worker. I love that, man. Uh, what about uh, best athletes? J.R. Smith, uh, Nate, uh, McDice. I love it. And then last one, what is Nate? Nate, Nate Robinson. And you could, chew in, you, you could chime in on this one, too. What is, do you think is the most common flaw you see from NBA players in terms of their approach? Mental weakness. Mm. Thinking at some point it's going to get easy. Thinking when they make $100 million, it'll it's get never easy. easy. If you understand... You just take hard as a concept and know it's always going to be hard. You got a shot. But if you get softened by the money, no shot. Steve, this was great. This was a fantastic hour. I actually kept you late three minutes and I really appreciate it. Oh, Ali, you have something for me? Uh, sure. Read it real quickly. Too tall Tucker, I see. Somebody says, who are some of the greatest non-traditional athletes that you've worked with? Ex example for Jokic's coordination. So usually we think athleticism, strength, fast, this or that. But is there guys? Jokic's just... His hands are unbelievable. It's like a robot. He doesn't miss anything. The other thing about Jokic, which I love, plays, plays at a different pace. So yeah. if you look at it, it's an off pace. So it's hard to guard because he doesn't do what everyone else does. Right. We all seem to like follow someone else's game or do this. He doesn't. It throws you off. Yeah. The other thing about Jokic, because he's so passionate about the game, he's locked in. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, wait till the fourth quarter, he don't take that time off. Love it. I love it, man. That was fantastic, everybody. Um, Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. This was great, man. The people loved it, too. I'm seeing all those chats and everything. Love <laughs> the people loved people it. Loved it. Yeah. I love that. So it Thank so you great. for having me, my guy. Thank uh, you, George. George and everybody else, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back in a couple weeks. You got something for us? Yeah, tell them I'm not as negative as you made me out. No, so, yeah, no, so before we go, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say this. I've worked with I worked with nine head coaches. Love Coach Malone. Love Bastilic. L love Danny Hill. I mean, there are, I'll go down the list. The best coach I've ever worked with, George Cole. Here's why: he's authentically who he is, and mm. I love that. Mm. I love that. I'll take that. Right. Oh, there I you think go. That was a compliment, but it I was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> he's cheerful. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Hit the like button on the way out. We'll be back in a couple weeks, recapping what's going on with the Denver Nuggets. George Cole had to bite his tongue today, but he's not going to bite it here. Where next time we're in this couch. Well, they got a week to figure it out. They got a week to figure it out. We'll see you guys then. <laughs>